Hello and welcome to Explore the Symphony. I'm your host, Marjolaine Fournier, Assistant Principal Bass with the National Arts Centre Orchestra. My guest, Jean-Jacques Van Vlasler, is one of Canada's foremost music journalists, credited with over 60 articles for Le Droit, The Globe and Mail, and CBC Radio-Canada. In this series, we discuss the inspiration, lives, and music of great composers. This season, we're studying music that changed music. Hello and welcome to Studio P3. Uh, I'm Marjolaine Fournier here, sitting with uh, Jean-Jacques Van Vlasler, who will be talking to us about a piece that changed the way we listen to music, a composer, actually, who changed the way we listen to music. Uh, it's Hector Berlioz, and the piece is Romeo et Juliette. He's one of the great romantic uh, personae of the 19th century, you know, with, uh, with E.T. Hoffman in Germany, with Franz Liszt in, uh, uh, all over Europe, with Pushkin in Russia, with Lord Byron in England, and, uh, and perhaps with Chopin also around Paris, but not in the same way. He is much more of his, uh, his uh, uh, an impulsive, highly romantic, intense nervous, egocentrical character, but at the same time, an, a remarkable musician, a remarkable musician who will, not only in his writing, in his composing music, but in his writings, in his three major books that he writes uh, in the second part of his life, and also uh, in his conducting, will transform the way we listen to music and has put down the foundation of uh, uh, concert conducting, of, uh, of orchestras uh, for the 19th and 20th century. That's huge. And for a man who didn't play the piano, absolutely, who, that's that's the first. And he was sort of at the beginning of expressionism, where the the guy writing is in there, in the music, everywhere. You see, you know, he his father wanted him to become a medical doctor, you know, and he goes to Paris and starts studying as as uh, in medicine. The, the the one thing is that he, you know, he's learning flute and he knows all this, but it's he, he and he starts studying music on his own. You know, he's a he's an amateur musician, in fact, in the beginning. But at 19, he composes a work which is a, a very ambitious, with very ambitious title, a biblical title, "The Passage of the Red Sea." I mean, this is this is enormous. You don't st it didn't start with a little uh, a flute sonata, <laughs> flute which he played that later on, and so that was one of his instruments. Very interesting that he would be a flute player and not a a trombone player <laughs> or, or, or a trumpet player. Because 
because he, he loved brass instruments, by the way, he loved very much brass instruments. He brought them out to the front, brass instruments. I'm just giving that example as uh, in, in, in the transformation of the orchestra. In the, in the last movement of the Symphonie Fantastique, he, uh, he uses it to announce or to, uh, to, to start the melody, the theme. Usually there are the, the string instruments that have themes uh, that throw, uh, uh, thrown at them by composers in the 19th century. No, no, he, he starts with, the, with, uh, with other instruments and, and, and he will also use very much the, uh, the woodwind instruments. Of course, you know, Symphonie Fantastique starts with, uh, with uh, woodwind instruments showing the contrast. So he, he is somebody who bursts into Parisian life and uh, people think he's an eccentric. Uh, he's, you know, he's he's the guy. He's the guy out, outside of norms. You know, the, the, was he the, was he liked or disliked? He was both liked and 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 disliked. Disliked by the conservatives and liked by by people like Victor Hugo, Alexandre Dumas, and Paganini will like him. You know when. The, the, what the, the, the French author Balzac said about him and said about him, and even so Balzac saw it absolutely right. He said, your orchestra is like a brain. And I think this is absolutely extraordinary because the imagination and the poetry, the, the poetic world of, um, of Berlioz is, is, is totally within the orchestra within the relationships between the instruments, between the opening up of the colors of the instruments and the contrast that he's bringing forward, the usage, the different usage. You know, he wanted orchestras that, that nobody could dream of today, you know, with uh, 350 violins, for example, but 20 pianos within the orchestra. He was trying to find new sounds to express this extraordinary surge of poetry that he had, that, of musical poetry that he had in himself. And that is why also he went straight to uh, the, great, the great poets, Goethe, Shakespeare, um, uh, Virgil <laughs> is there also. He, he will use Virgil for, for one of his later operas. You see. You know, several of the overtures are based on books by Sir Walter Scott. So there is the new romantic world understands that this man is going forward and then of course the great classical world is looking at this guy and saying, well, this should be put somewhere. <laughs> The thing about Berlioz, if you read, and to pre in order to prepare my visit with you, I, I decided to read, and I read the autobiography of Berlioz. And his imagination is even in the autobiography. But the thing that is striking to me is that, yes, he's got such energy for creation, for composing, uh, for administering personalities to the instrument, for writing. Uh, in words for writing uh, feuilletons, they call them articles. Uh, he was a very good journalist. I mean, oh. a very good music critic, and first class, because he knew exactly what was happening and what was happening wrong. <laughs> but his his writing is delicious. Mm -hmm. eh? His use of the French language is delicious. But the other thing that struck me, and it always, I don't know, it's part of my personality, I guess, is that he would fall in love and chase this woman, this any, and for years, 40 years, he chases this one woman. He's always in love with her, and it 
feeds almost the flame of his creation. I, I don't think he's always in love with her, you know, but he's or in love idea, with love. He's in love with the love. idea of love, but he's in love with an actress like the, the, the person you're talking about, Harriet Smithson, who had been playing Ophelia. So it's Ophelia Smithson. It is Juliet Smithson. It's Shakespeare Smithson who brought Shakespeare for the first time. He sees these young, wonderful uh, characters that Shakespeare has created. And, and, you know, and, and both of them, both Ophelia and uh, Juliet are between love and death. Never forget that, you know. It's always love and death, and it always goes together with him, and it goes and in his mind. And so, and, and so he will fall in love with her, but then he will he will look after her all his uh, all his life until her early death. But meanwhile, he has been living with somebody else. I mean, he has he had two, uh, let's say, organized. Um, uh, lives <laughs> uh, at the same time. Well, you know, he, he was uh, with Marie Reccio, who was not a very nice person as such. She was another singer, and uh, she was a singer. You see, there, there's the actress, there's the singer. There's, there is the theater of the world around him. But his real world was putting the theater of the world within his incredible imagination. Well, my first encounter with a large orchestra, the first time I played in a large orchestra, it was, uh, if you can imagine, uh, it was Tristan Isolde, the, uh, the overture, and then the same day, imagine, I've gone from the Beethoven symphonies, I, I, you know, the, and Mozart and Chicoutimi, mm -hmm. and then I go to Tristan Isolde and the Symphonie Fantastique, and the first DS that I hear in my life is the one in the Symphonie Fantastique, but the colors, the personalities, the solos that are played once on the oboe, once on the English horn, there like you go. A, a question and an answer, even though the music is the same. Question and answer. And you know what? what you're opening a wonderful road here for me because uh, he is between the question and the answer. The answer, his answer, his poetic answer, his music is between the, uh, the, the, the question and the answer of the oboe and of the, of the English horn. The same thing will happen with uh, the, the, the scene at the country. Scene at the country, the, 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 the third movement, the slow movement. Well, it is like Beethoven. It's like Beethoven in the Pastoral Symphony. And it is like uh, the, the usage of the English horn in Tristan and Isolde. So... One first remark, Berlioz is between Beethoven, the symphonic world of Beethoven, and the theater world of Wagner. And he, he brings them together. That's one of the things. The second thing, and much more, let's say, much more revealing, in fact, the first is a, a generalization on my part, but much more revealing, is that Beethoven, um, at the scene at the brook, you know, that, uh, in, the, in, the, in the pastoral symphony, um, will create the environment musically. He will create a musical environment which looks like nature. Wow. But it is his music that creates it. Now, uh, Berlioz in uh, the, the, the third movement of the, uh, of the, of the Symphonie Fantastique um, will create sounds that are like, and will listen to the sounds that are the sounds of nature, which he has created also. But, you know, there are much more sounds of nature, and he's, uh, he's between those two. His answer is between the technical creation of sounds and these 
real sounds of nature that 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 follow out of there. So with Berlioz, you have the soul right in front of you within the music. With Wagner, you, uh, with Beethoven, Beethoven, uh, his, uh, his, he, he organizes the roads. Well, there's, there's the brook, and you have the violins doing the little waves of the brook. There's the flute, there's the cuckoo. It's very clear. It's very clear. That you're right, you are here. Mm -hmm. Then when you, when you go to Wagner, Wagner will put his soul into symbols <laughs> within the music and within the myth. <laughs> But with Berlioz, between those two, it is Berlioz himself. He just opens his breast <laughs> mm. and, and, and it lets it flow within the music. So this music is so real. But it's crazy that it was written so close to Beethoven, you know? It, 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 crazy. How could he? It, it, isn't that an incredible thing? It's Beethoven incredible, is, yes. dies in 1827 and the Symphonie Fantastique is in 1830. Three years later, suddenly people looked at that and said, what, what is this man about? Not to say anything about Beethoven, you know, oh, but Berlioz was completely in There's the... another world. In the, There's yes. another world. But times had changed very much. Times had changed very much. Beethoven was still a, you know, the victorious man of, of enlightenment. And then you had this, this period of revolution because nothing had been really worked out. Uh, and church was gone and the the structure of society was changing completely yeah and paris and, lives and he, through and, another revolution and, and he and there, were, there were there were three major revolutions in the 19th century in paris and you know he was he was there he he ran out the night of the 29th of july of uh, in um, oh, 1930 in 1830 obviously 1830 and with a revolver in his hands and ran around the streets where everybody was where they were shooting and and so they were very dangerous he was a revolutionary and he he orchestrated, if I understand, La Marseillaise? It is one of the most extraordinary orchestrations that I have heard of any national anthem. When you hear that one, and he did it just at the revolution in 1830. Um, when you hear that, you, you, you stand up and you... And, you, you, you want to sing. I mean, it's extraordinary. The, the Montreal Symphony Orchestra has done it uh, at certain concerts. Um, so I, I remember a concert on the 14th of July here in Ottawa um, with uh, Charles Dutrois conducting the Montreal Symphony Orchestra. And he started with Berlioz's version of uh, the um, of uh, so for our listeners this is anthem. this is you can find this on records i think it yeah it does exist it's it does exist by the way i mean to 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 keep a wonderful balance between the our two uh, our two uh, uh, let's say colonial nations um, uh, benjamin britain has written a, a a very nice orchestration of god save the king queen and back to britain and shakespeare and i wish we could go on this road, Jean-Jacques, but we have to take the roundabout and go to um, Romeo and Juliet.
often this is played for causes of budget and time and everything. It's, it's uh, done as a few movements, the orchestral movements from this symphony. Um, but you d describe to us what he oh, it did. It is much this. larger, of course. You know, but, uh, what he does, he, the, it, it is the, the musical part. The musical part really says the in inside part, the, the poetic part. It, it expresses what is happening within what he feels Shakespeare has been saying. And what he is, because at the same time, uh, uh, Wagner uh, said about, uh, said about uh, Berlioz, he, he, he uses the poets, you know, it's a scandal. He uses the poets too much to, to say what he wants to say. But this is what it is. This is what Berlioz's life is about. You were talking about his autobiography. My God, the four symphonies he has composed, Symphony Fantastique, followed by Lelio, um, Harold in Italy, um, the Symphonie Funèbre et Triomphale, and then finally the Romeo and Juliet of 1849 are, are Berlioz's autobiography. <laughs> Much more than anything he has written, even if he wrote very well. <laughs> so yeah. what? Mm -hmm. what uh, so there we go with the Romeo and Juliet, seven movements, seven movements and uh, seven movements for orchestra, choir, solo. Um, and in that prologue, which I think is a very interesting prologue, he will give the the cell, um, the, the the intervallic cell, you know, the, the, the uh, musical cell that will come back in different forms, but uh, throughout the symphony. So a short little theme? It's within the theme. It's the organization of the theme. And then he will give also most of the uh, most of the, the 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 themes in that prologue that come within the symphony. So it's all within the prologue that you know what is going to happen. That is 1849. I said, just remember that was the time that Wagner was starting to compose the Ring Cycle. All with those... all the light motives, you know, yes, yes. but so it's it's it it was there, and who has learned it from whom? I think he knew quite well Wagner, uh, what Berlioz was doing. So this is one thing, and then of course um, the the vocal parts sing the story, and the instrumental parts are giving the wonderful commentary, the poetry poetry commentary that, that goes with it. Now, there are seven movements, the, the introduction, I was talking about that, um, with the prologue, and, and then the second movement, there is the big, the big party at the Capulets with, for solo orchestra, which is a pure, you told, as you said it a few seconds ago, a pure symphonic movement, a third movement, the quiet night, the garden of the Capulets, silence, deserted, only for the orchestra. It is a wonderful movement. Then a double choir, which will sing Oe Capulet, bonsoir, bonsoir, good night, good night. Double choir, one is behind the scene, one is on the, on the side. And it is followed by the great love scene, which is, it is so beautiful that music of the love scene um, and played by, by the orchestra alone. The fourth movement is Queen Mab. And that is like a nightmare, a nightmare, but you know, it's, a, it's the most extraordinary, fine nightmare. It's, it's made out of microscopic sounds. And, uh, and, and it, it, it's like a breath of danger. 
So it's it's like a and, lace almost a, a, a of lace, a yes, but it's it's a, but it's it's a lace of you feel the danger of the oh, queen yeah, map yeah, yeah, and yeah. and it's a scherzo movement but of course you know it it, uh, it's well, it a has to be a scherzo it has hey? to be scherzo it's a brilliant movement mm-hmm. the fifth movement is juliet's um, uh, being taken to the tomb for orchestra and small choir a burial convoy in fact the f- sixth movement romeo adds her uh, at the uh, Tomb of the Capulis, which ain't, and it is a, a reflection on death again, and a wonderful poetic reflection on, on the solitude and solitude of human beings. And then finally, the seventh movement, when uh, the, 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 the crowd runs to the cemetery, and we have a grand finale for orchestra, two great choirs, and a bass solo uh, who will tell the end of the story of Romeo and Juliet. You were telling me uh, that Berlioz um, had an imagination without bounds that he, and I was telling you what I read was that he chased love and he chased honors also. Yes, absolutely. He wanted to be. He was the anti-establishment man who fought all his life to be part of the establishment. Mm. Here's what he says. This is very near the end of his life and it struck me as very sad, of course. Which of the two powers, love or music, can elevate man to the sublimest heights? It's a great problem, and yet it seems to me that this is the answer. Love can give no idea of music. Music can give an idea of love. Why separate them? They are the two wings of the soul. He's wonderful. He's a wonderful writer, and and he knows what he's saying. Also, I mean, the, 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 he's the, been there. He he's been there. Absolutely, you know, he would kill for love, and uh, he almost, almost did, did it. <laughs> <laughs> but he's a uh, and you know and and he will he will continuously fall in love, but it is always. In, with the background, these people represent more than what they are. I mean, they are. They, and the last one, Amélie, for example, will die very young. She was very young, 21, I think, when she when she met him, and he was in at the end of his 50s. But he's, uh, um, and he will look after everybody because he feels very bad about uh, letting the, the the other people go. So he will look after Harriet uh, Smithson until she dies, and. Um, and uh, then marries Marie Rexio, and who will die at 48 also. I mean, this is um, love life uh, at that level of absoluteness um, is very difficult to sustain. <laughs> we were speaking right before we started uh, to speak before the microphones about other uh, works by Berlioz, uh, Les Nuits d'été. Oh, yes, yes. You know, there's yes, such it's... tenderness in that music. Uh, speaking with you today just makes me want to listen to Berlioz more. Les Nuits d'été is a masterwork. There. And, uh, the, and it is again about what? About the power of imagination, the power of love, and the reality of death. And I think it was the center of, of, of everything that happened within his life. The, the, the quest he asked, like so many other people do, of course, but he could express it. Life is very short, love, when you can. And absolutely. As much. <laughs> and absolutely. <laughs> Jean-Jacques, thank you again. 
I'm looking forward to our next meeting. So do I. That's all for this edition of Explore the Symphony. Send your comments and questions to nacpodcasts at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Check out our sister podcast, the NACOcast, with the NAC Orchestra's principal bassoon, Christopher Millard. You can subscribe to this and other NAC podcasts by visiting nacpodcast.ca or searching for NAC. CNA in the iTunes Music Store. Musical excerpts provided by Naxos of Canada. So until next time, this is Marjolaine Fournier saying thank you and goodbye from Canada's National Arts Centre.